0: Does your camp offer aerial silks like you might see in a Cirque du Soleil show, or laughter yoga, candle making, or programs involving a Magic 8-Ball? Do you require your applicants to write essays or do a 100 hours of work before staff training even begins? These are just a few of the things that make Camp Augusta different than any other camp out there.
1: Welcome to the Summer Camp Pro Podcast. Welcome to the Summer Camp Pro Podcast.
0: Welcome to episode number four of the Summer Camp Pro Podcast. And thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Okay, on today's show, I interviewed Dr. Randall Grayson, the director of Camp Augusta in California. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background on him. Before he was a full-time camp director, he spent his non-summers working on his doctorate in psychology at the Claremont Graduate University, specializing in developmental, social, and organizational psychology. Dr. Grayson is well-known in camping circles. He wrote the acclaimed book series entitled Creating Exceptional Camps and has created and continues to maintain numerous websites, which I will link to in the show notes, because there's a lot of valuable information on his sites. He has dedicated his life to providing exceptional camp experiences where children and his staff can thrive and grow, and is committed to creating a special magical world that helps to create fine people in a safe, fun environment. Dr. Grayson presents at camp conferences and writes for Camping Magazine. He's been interviewed in national and local newspapers, and been interviewed for the CBS Morning Show and the New York Times as a summer camp expert. He is a master balloon artist. He has worked as a cowboy on a sheep ranch in New Zealand. He's handy with both broadswords and fencing swords. He is certified to fly hang gliders, give massages, and hypnotize you. And he just missed being on the Olympic archery team. During this interview, I learned some things about the program and culture he has created at Camp Augusta that blew my mind. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show, Randy. I'm I'm really excited to have you as my first guest. Uh, I feel like we know each other after all the email discussions we've had over wow. the past few years. And, um, of course, the awesome input, input that you've given to the email roundtables. Uh, at the top of the show, I told everyone about you professionally. But if you don't mind, can you tell us about you personally?
1: Sure. I've been uh, doing camping now for about 20, going on 26 years. Uh, So a minute. (laughs) And uh, outside of that, I graduated college. I went traveling for three years and I paid for my way while I was traveling, doing any odd job I could imagine. So I racked up over 40 different jobs of various ilk uh, during those times and then decided I wanted to go to graduate school because a degree in psychology undergraduate qualifies you to volunteer uh, so I decided that that would be useful and decided that summer camp was the only thing that i had really stuck with consistently over the years and decided to go for that, uh, which initially the graduate school, Claremont Graduate University said, well, that's not really likely a worthy uh, area of study. So I had to convince them that summer camp was actually a very valuable place to do research and to examine as a context thing. Uh, interestingly, the first social psychological study uh, of any size ever done was done at one of the early summer camps, uh, now over 80 years ago. So that helped, and, and many things since then. So that's a li- little what I've been up to. I used to teach at universities for a while and decided the, the woods had a stronger calling than the classroom.
0: Oh, that's great. Now, I saw on your bio there was things, you talked about these odd jobs, that you were a cowboy in New Zealand, and... Um, how you almost became a, an Olympic archer. And it's crazy. It sounds like you've had a, a neat life so far.
1: Yeah, I've, I've uh, had uh, many blessings of, uh, and fun things I and mean, the opportunity to try so many different ilks of work from uh, sheep wrangling in New Zealand to uh, many uh, other experiences working at camps all over the world. And I also uh, broke my neck and spent uh, about a year and a half and hospitals and rehab centers. I was total quadriplegic for three months as well. Offered a different exp- experience as well. Oh. Now, did
0: you, you went to camp as a kid, right?
1: I did, but I actually hated summer camp as a child.
0: Me too. I, I had a horrible experience. What, what was your experience like?
1: Uh, well, my, my parents sent me to a uh, summer camp and I hated it the first time. And uh, they were like, well, you don't really hate summer camp. You simply didn't like the one you went to. So they sent me to four different summer camps until I was old enough that they couldn't peel me off the banister railing anymore. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, that was the end of my my camping days. But a lot of the things that I didn't enjoy about my time as a child were that I didn't have the autonomy to choose what I wanted to do. Uh, When I got to the activities that uh, I was assigned to, I didn't find them to be intriguing or challenging. Uh, and uh, among some other things that I I didn't appreciate. So I made sure that when I got into camping that I I made those things different.
0: Yeah, that's funny. Uh, My, my main thing, I I actually enjoyed the camp that I went to, but I didn't enjoy the staff. I I didn't like the, or especially my camp counselor and the way uh, he definitely had his favorites and how he treated um, most of the kids and it was just, it was bad. And so it's kind of the same thing that drew me to camp was I wanted it to be different for the kids that I had. And that was really a, you know, driving force for me. Um, so it's interesting that, uh, you know, I, I hear story after story about how people went to camp and loved it. And that's why they got into camping, but you and I had different experiences um, than that. Yeah. So it it must've been around, I want to say four or five years ago when I first stumbled upon the Camp Augusta website looking for some new program ideas that I could implement at my camp and was blown away by all the cool things that you offer there. Um, But before we get into that, uh, tell us a little bit about Camp Augusta, like where's it located, Um, how many weeks, what type of population do you serve? (laughs)
1: So the, the camp operates for half the year, about six months, and uh, we do obviously the summer camp, and we have 95 campers then and 60 staff. Uh, about 10 of those staff are kitchen and others, so really 50 staff, that on an every single day basis, they're working with the children directly. So it's a little better than a one-to-two ratio. We have over 150 activities that most people would consider. We call them clinics. Uh, and then we do other things like cabin activities and playstations and auctions and even programs and other things like that so that's uh outside of that we run several family camps and we do school groups and then on the really tail end of either side of the season we do Uh, that keeps us uh, fairly busy for six months of the year
0: and uh, so is it one week of camp when a child comes
1: the sessions that's we run three two-week sessions so six of the nine weeks of the summer and then three one-week sessions in california there, almost every camp is one or two week sessions. There's only a couple that even try to offer anything longer. And, and, mix and, mix and mix.
0: got it. And you're in central to northern California, right?
1: About an hour northeast of Sacramento.
0: So, what would you say is the purpose or the mission of your camp?
1: For uh, well, our vision is to foster and reclaim the beauty, wonder, awe, potential, and innocence of childhood. Uh, that is what is our, our centering. And then we look for to bring the children into the natural environment. They're outside the entire time. The cabins are open air. There's no screens. So they live outside the natural environment and they have the opportunity to choose their experience nearly every moment of the day. So there's almost nothing that they have to do. They, they need to brush their teeth. They need to change their clothes. They can't run off by themselves anywhere, but that's about it. Everything else is, is a choice in that
0: discussion. Okay, cool. And what was Camp Augusta like before you took it over?
1: It was, uh, there were only 22 activities here at the time, and they were things like volleyball and soccer, and very ball sport-oriented. They had sort of an archery program, horses and swimming, uh, but that was it. And it was, uh, the camper return rate was 44%, which you know is quite poor, and the camp was half full, and it had about $5 million in debt. So it had it had some ills uh, when I got here. So we scrapped almost every activity that existed and added all new ones over the years. Now the camp enjoys, uh, we're 100% full and, and have been for over a decade now. We spend oh, no money on marketing whatsoever. We spend $120 a year on the web server, and that's it. We have a waiting list that is more just over half the capacity of the camp. So we still instantaneously for every day. Uh, And we have a return rate that is in the 80% range. uh, And it's higher if you include campers that can't come back because they age out. But we don't do that calculation. Right. And so
0: so would you say that you only, um, that marketing only costs $120 because of word of mouth
1: all word of mouth uh, because we maintain a pretty old school website uh the program that makes it was literally built in 1995 (laughs) (laughs) but it works and it's free uh so yeah we don't spend anything it's entirely word of mouth and we have far more interest than
0: Now, I wanted to find out more about the programs that they run at Camp Augusta. If you go to their website, you'll see a list of pretty much everything that they offer, and there are things on that list that I've never even heard of. So I wanted to find out more about what they do uh, for programming as well as some of their special events. All right, let's get into the meat of it. Um, talk about the, the activities you offer and, and how they came about.
1: The activities we offer, we look to do things that children can't do in their normal life. So that, you know, it's not that often that you can do uh, silks like the Cirque kind of thing or the, you know, blacksmithing. Or we have this huge foam war kind of battle royale and, and a whole bunch of things, you know, challenging ropes courses that you can't normally do. And we specialize in bringing those things all together and offering those. So we have some general domains like the arts. Uh, We have a huge challenge course uh, and low ropes course there. And we also have some circus circus programs, lots of weapons-based things, horses, waterfront, and then a few other ones as well. And how those came about is they, they are ones that people suggested Like a few we added, but staff add activities, campers suggest things, families who are here suggest things, and that continues to be the case. We still add several activities a year and drop a few, and those are all suggestion-based. Like We're probably going to add glass blowing as an activity next year because there were several people that were passionate about it, And, and we like to foster passion, and that's not something everyone can do, so we'll probably add that.
0: That is so cool. And so if, if somebody has like an expertise in one of your staff has an expertise in um, something and you offer that and then that staff doesn't return the following summer, is that program pretty much done?
1: Yeah. So we, we work on training people during the summer for the following year. So we, our, our uh, goal is to have four people and sometimes more depending on the activity that we train during the year for the following summer that at least are likely to come back, who haven't said they're not coming back. And so the following year, not all of them do, obviously, but, you know, usually we get at least two or three of them. And then they've got the skills, and they are here the following summer uh, and then train, you know, more people on that perpetual cycle.
0: Right. And what would you say is your most popular activity?
1: The uh, One other thing I want to mention about the uh, clinics, uh, or the activities that we offer is we have something that's called a passion pot. And we take about, it varies, but roughly $6,000 and we keep that for no particular purpose other than somebody's got a passion during the summer that we didn't know about ahead of time. And they would like to do something at camp uh, in some way. So we keep that as an aside. Uh, and that's really helpful and inspiring. For example, so someone wanted to offer jewelry smithing as an activity, and we hadn't planned on doing that, uh, but they made a proposal and they said, hey, I want to do jewelry smithing, and here's what it would cost, and, you know, let's try it out, see if it's popular, or banjo clinic was another one somebody wanted to offer, and so we bought uh, four banjos, and he had his own, and then he started offering banjo as a clinic and, and different things, I and mean, it, it varies certainly year to year what people want to do.
0: And. I'm sure there are activities that uh, maybe don't get as much interest as you would hope they would.
1: Yeah. So for the, for the activities, we keep detailed statistics on every activity. So we literally know what, how many children signed up for every activity based on the day, the time of day, uh, what day of the week it was offered, the the gender offered. So we, we keep detailed statistical models of every activity. uh, not only the number of people offered uh, of spots, because archery for us takes a lot, which is 11, Uh, but another activity might only take three campers, or four, Banjo takes four campers, so not very many. So we do it by percent filled and spots filled, and we keep all these statistics. And it's interesting to know what are the the 20 most popular, the 20 least popular. But even if something were not the most popular, and it was towards the bottom of popularity, we might still keep it and run it because it offers something to the children that are, or the families that are interested in doing it. So not that many people sign up for, uh, let me see up the bottom one, uh, like kayaking for us is not very popular or quarterstaff combat um, or making your own shirts, silk screening, uh, things like that. Those are, are not super popular activities here outdoor living skills, but we keep them and we offer them because sometimes there are children that want to do them.
0: Which is interesting because I would have thought those would be popular, but I guess you, you never know.
1: Yeah. Well, we, uh, yeah, in the beginning we didn't know, and uh, but now over time we've gotten a lot better with our statistical model. So we change what is offered for us changes every single day and we keep a statistical model of what we would offer for a given week or two weeks. And then we adjust that based on what actually happens when the children are signing up every day for the following day. And sometimes we change it in the moment because it happened to be hotter than uh, on that day. So we'll start, we'll put some more waterfront in and maybe take some things out. So it's, it's very dynamic and serve to what the, the people who are here are really interested in doing.
0: So on your list, what are the top three
1: clinics? Top, uh, the, well, it would be by... Uh, by spots filled or by percentage? By spots filled, it would be archery, candle making, go figure.
0: Huh.
1: Uh, <laughs> and uh, throwing range, where we throw knives, axes, spears, and do uh, blow darts and crossbows and things like that. Uh, so those are uh, up there. And uh, those are by spots filled. And then top by percentage, uh, laughter yoga fills 100% of the time. What? Yep. Uh, bread making fills hundred percent of the time, and aerial silks fills hundred percent of the time. They're not they don't take an enormous amount of children, so by number they're not super popular, but by the fact that they're filled hundred percent of the time they're popular.
0: How do the kids sign up or how do they
1: So they sign up every day at lunch for the following day and we have these four giant sheets of plywood. Uh, that are all decorated and all the slips are there, little paper slips with the activity and how many spots it can hold. And there's a rotation so that it's fair for how many, which cabins get to go when they go through and they sign up. And we always offer 50 more spots than there are children or people at camp so that at the end, even if you're the last person there, there's no 50 blank openings that you're staring at. Uh, so you have at least you know, six, maybe even 10 different choices in, uh, in front of you at that time. And then obviously a lot of the things that we offer cancel well, by design. And so what is PlayStation? PlayStation. So PlayStation are activities that are usually not skill-based, and they're usually activities that you could be done from 50 to 5,000 years ago. So we wouldn't offer uh, archery or most arts or things like that because uh, those are, well, for us, clinic-oriented. But we do offer activities that are anything from, uh, we have one that uh, is pretty popular called uh, Magic 8-Ball. And the campers write down whatever they think would, they would like the group to do. It can take from a minute to three minutes long. And they put it on a piece of paper, crinkle it up, throw it into this magic hat and then you start with this whole little ritual and pinky swear and then you uh you ask you somebody draws it out and then you shake the magic eight ball you know they read it and then you see if you're actually going to do it or not and then whatever it is that group does whatever that is, whatever was written on that paper uh and that is what you do for an hour and it's uh, i love that one it's incredibly random Like every time you run that activity it's different uh, and it usually gets uh full if you Usually got ten. Sometimes if we put a few more staff in, it, it'll take 20 campers, and you run around for an hour doing you know, all kinds of crazy things. So they, but they, they vary in, in what they are. So we just we have categories of things. Like we have two that would be in an off-the-wall category. So we have off-the-wall, we have water, active, uh, more artsy, and kind of, uh, and some relaxing activities, and, and some other categories as well. But those are the main
0: ones. And you, uh, you have some amazing evening programs. Tell us a little bit about those. So
1: the evening programs are new every year. So we don't repeat ourselves unless it's been at least seven years. And even then, we rarely do pull them from back then. So we create these worlds and these experiences uh, brand new for every year. So no one will have played them before. And they are immersive experiences like more like a, a movie or a, a modern video game but brought to life so everyone is a character so the the children are characters all the staff are characters we design the camp and the theme of this world and you live out this adventure whatever it might be and they take different categories again like playstation so some some games are pure runaround, some are hybrid, they're station runaround, uh, runaround combos. Some are pure station games. Uh, and they, as I said, they all have different themes. But every staff member takes on a character and the world unfolds, there's an intro uh, skit, an outro to see what uh, whatever happened during the game, if the folks were successful or whatever the goal was. And there are, everyone is fully dressed in costumes to the ninth. We have over 1,500 costumes and people get dressed up to we dress the the camp and the world up as well so we're we're hoping that people uh live this world and you get lost in the whatever it is ever realm or all the different games that, that we have and what what about um
0: i'm sure there are some campers who maybe are they just don't get it or uh it doesn't appeal to them. What, what happens with those campers in these big campwide adventures?
1: And so we have something, one of our philosophies here is challenged by choice or participation by choice. And the campers know that uh, again, more than about 80 or more percent of the campers are returning. So they know it really well. And the new ones they're, they're guided. Uh, and there's one, again, our, our ratio is better than one to two. So there's always adults around it. If they're campers who don't want to participate, they can choose to do something else or uh, uh, then help with the game in some case. That's actually very rare. The, the children love them. There's maybe one or two campers on an evening program that choose a different way to participate. Maybe they'll, if they're the jail, they might help with that if it's a runaround game or, uh, or different things. But, but usually everyone participates uh, in the games.
0: That's so cool. At the uh, ACA Spring Leadership Conference this year, I led a workshop on how to use game mechanics to create campwide games or to upgrade current games like uh, Capture the Flag.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was inspired by an instructional multi-page report that uh, Jack Schott and James Davis wrote.
1: That covered yeah, I read that.
0: Yeah, I guess they were inspired by you, by your campwide games, and so that's pretty cool. Now, Nature's Wrath is... Was that, like, the first
1: game? Yeah, so, uh, dot net is so is one that has a different format than most camps tend to uh, play for a game. And it's also one that, you know, if you had a 100 bucks and, uh, you know, half a day, you could put this game together and, and run it on any scale. So it's handy in those regards. Uh, and that it's, it's quite cheap. The costumes are, are also, you know, easy thrift story or fabric. Uh, the games are not super complicated and it's incredibly popular. It's, uh, in our records, we, again, we keep stats on almost everything. It's one of the most popular games we've ever run. Uh, it's also quite simple, uh, but so it's super fun. It's based on a very b- loosely based on a movie called princess Mononoke. Uh, and it, it's a sweet game to play and easy to do. And we've had folks all over the world from Africa to Europe that emailed us and have, have been running the game.
0: That's very cool. Now, of course, you have a resident camp, but do you think these types of programs can also be
1: run at day camps? Sure. Yeah, the, the evening programs could be run during the day. Uh, so we did a backward day once where we ran it in the morning. It doesn't really matter what time it is for the most part. Uh, for that, all the clinics run during the day. PlayStation runs during the day. Um, so I think all of these things would go very well at, at day camp as well. Uh, we do another thing, cabin activities and auctions or a couple other elements of our program, uh, and those would go well. I'd say the only thing that would be a little odd at a day camp, would be a special wake-up, uh, but and, and then evening embers is another time that would be kind of a nighttime discussions and experiences, but outside of that, I think everything would apply.
0: Right, right, and since you brought it up, let's uh, tell us a little bit, because I was obviously a little confused on this, um, a little bit about the special wake-ups and how that's run.
1: So the special wake-ups came, you know, if it's a- Wake up, and there's an alarm clock that goes off, and you're like, All right, you know, everybody get up, you're ready for the day. There, there's that option for getting children up or, or throw, throwing something at them or, or whatever it is. Maybe sometimes there's a bugle call or, or music of some course that, uh, that do it. And we thought that there it would be fun to wake people up, children up, in a way that had some more whimsy playfulness and variety to it and was by design to create, you know, we are, we are these homo sapiens and we have these great creative brains. Let's put them to use and wake people up in this really fantastic way. And again, we have categories. Uh, so we'll have some really relaxing ways that we'll wake children up. Like sometimes it'll be, uh, yoga or we'll wake them up with, uh, peppermint tea and honey. And maybe someone will be playing music or we'll get a few people involved and, uh, and do massages and kind of wake them up with a nice massage in the morning. Uh, and then we do you know, funny ones, really boisterous ones. Uh, sometimes they're artistic and the council will, will decorate the cabin while they're all sleeping and they'll wake up to that. Or they'll write them an inspirational note and hang it over their bed and they'll wake up uh, to the note hanging from the ceiling above their bed. Um, so there's lots of different kinds. The boisterous ones... Are the most uh, popular with the staff in general. They like to do those, but we try and limit those to two or three of uh, the kinds a week. And, and as I uh, mentioned to you earlier, they the wake ups are something that are also part of Challenge by Choice and something that is uh, a discussion with the children. So we ask them when they first get here, that cabin, uh, again, most of them have been here, but we say, you know, what kind of wake ups have you enjoyed in the past? Which ones have been less, uh, you've been less excited about? Uh, here's kind of things that I enjoy doing. What do you all think about that? So that discussion happens before any of them occur. And actually I take a cabin as a counselor every summer myself. Really? Um, And I asked my kids that when I was a counselor for a session and I like the boisterous ones here and there as well. They're fun. Uh, But I had one of my campers who said, I really don't enjoy those kinds of things. I like them to be either far more relaxing Or wake me up ahead of time and let me help you. So for a couple of them, that's what I did. I woke him up ahead of time, got him out of the cabin, and then he became a character as we were waking up the other children. Oh, that's neat. So
0: each counselor does it for their cabin? There's not a special wake-up team?
1: No. Every counselor does it. uh, And they usually enlist other people. I mean, the more elaborate the wake-up, the more people you need to do it. Uh, But, yeah, each counselor does it for their cabin. We'll do village wake-ups once during a week. So that, uh, there's 25 campers in a village and they'll do a village wake up and they be anything from sleeping bag Olympics, which was really, you uh, so know, was how can you uh, as a team go in and get everyone in, in their sleeping bag and bring them out of the cabin as fast as possible. And it was a timed, you know, like sporting event with the commentators and the whole nine yards. So that, that was uh, a funny one, or it might be something that has kind of this absurdity to it. Uh, like they took the cabin and there had some people outside shaking it a little bit like it was a train and we had a conduct person dressed up as a conductor and they went in and were like calling out the next stops and then people would come in and like sit down and like reading a newspaper and then you know all these characters that you might meet on a train would just come in and start doing you know acting out their character and they'd go from one cabin and then bring everyone in that cabin to the next cabin and by the time you got to the last cabin you had Forty people in this cabin, all, everyone acting like they're, you know, on a train uh, and interacting with one another that way. So they have can have that quality to them as well.
0: A few years back at an ACA conference, I met Melissa. She was on the leadership team at Camp Augusta, and she told me about the intensive and competitive application process one has to go through to get a summer job at Camp Augusta. She also mentioned how much training the staff has to go through. I wanted to know more, so I asked Randy about this. Obviously, staff is a key component to your camp, um, and I guess there's quite the application, interview, hire process for Camp Augusta. How did how does that work, and, and how intensive is it?
1: So the we're a little bit different. The average age of our staff, uh, minus you know, like myself and and. Uh, other uh, long-term leadership staff, is 25. So we, we usually have people, they're out of college, they've gone traveling for a few years, they either, uh, maybe they went to graduate school and they already have their master's degree or they're currently in the process of working on it. Uh, so they, they tend to be older than normal summer camp staff for counselors. And we enjoy that because they have more life experience and more stories uh, and hopefully a little more maturity and wisdom to to go with that. But the process goes, there are six questions that they answer in all essay format. And the first one is, who are you? And we ask that that question be at least a page long with no margins, 10.5. And then the second question is, uh, tell us what you want to learn and need to learn in terms of your mind, body, heart, and spirit. So that's uh, four questions four pieces, two questions, so it's eight total parts, and we ask them to go through and, and speak about that. And so after they go through these first six questions, if we enjoyed what they've written, then we send them around to, two, and that's anywhere from 10 to 20 questions, essay again. By the time they've gone through this, they're in the neighborhood of 15, 20 pages of essay questions. And if we've liked that, uh, we've sent them some secret pages that we have Uh, That give them really the nitty gritty underbelly, everything dark we can possibly imagine about camp that we share with them, as well as many of the wonderful things. And then they read that. And then if they're still interested, we do a two hour video interview. And then if that all goes well, then we give them 100 hours of work to do before they ever even set foot at camp. Holy moly. And there's all kinds of assignments and things that are checked on. Loads of conversations with lots of different people. Lots of work that they do there takes about 100 hours so after they do that then they get to camp and then we do 25 days of staff training which is 14 hours a day for 25 days uh, without a break start to finish and then after that then we are ready for them to be a counselor and during that first time as a counselor if they're new to us then we usually put a shadow with them so they have an experienced person working with them in that first Week or two weeks of counseling, so that's a little bit about our process. Do you find you have a hard time
0: uh, getting staff and and finding staff that has the time to
1: uh, commit to all this? Yeah, we get about uh, we spend a lot of time recruiting, and last year we got about two hundred and seventy five applications for twenty open positions. Really, and that uh, I would. So 275 people that wrote at least the first six questions in full essay form. Uh, so that's, that's about our ratio. We'd like that to be a little higher. Our goal is to get in the neighborhood of 400 uh, applications for the 20 or so spots that we have available. So uh, we, we continuing to work on be, uh, boosting that up. What's your best
0: recruiting tool, I guess. Do you go to the, the campuses or, or what do you do?
1: No, we don't, uh, we don't go to any campuses. Uh, we don't do almost anything uh, in person. It's almost all advertising online. Uh, we get about a third of our staff from international agencies by design. We like to have at least 12 different countries represented here during the summer. Uh, sometimes we get up to 15, 16 different countries. Uh, so we enjoy that. So we get uh, uh, six or seven new staff Sometimes 10. Do they have to go through the whole process? They do. They go through. The international agencies are not a super fan of our process. They have their own. But, uh, but yeah, we, we require that every single person that comes here goes through the entire thing start to finish. Wow.
0: Now, I've, I've heard you mentioned or I've read it that your staff doesn't get burned out and that there's not really a feeling of midsummer slump that a lot of camps um, find themselves uh, dealing with. Why is that?
1: Yeah, who knows? Uh, I mean, it's hard to pin your finger on why that exactly might be. But my guesses or thoughts are that the, the staff, again, are a little bit older. So they're, the, uh, the super highs and lows are, are, uh, have become a little more calm through the, their experiences in life. They also have a lot. There's a, Daniel Pink wrote this book called Drive. I don't know if you've heard of it, but he has three pieces on it, which is autonomy, mastery and purpose. Like This is what motivates people. And that's one of many frameworks that I appreciated. And we look to have that be present for not only the campus, but for the staff. So the staff have choice as well. So there what they do during the day is largely by their design. So the schedule a given staff member would have is probably different every single day for the entire summer in terms of what they're teaching, when they're teaching it, how often they teach it, it varies. There's an intense nested support group. So with all these staff, we also have lots of people available to support people in various ways. Uh, You as the staff person are limited only really by your own creativity. We have so much opportunity for people to develop themselves and to express themselves that they're like, yeah, I want to do a banjo clinic or I want to add this or improve this program area or write an evening program or develop this philosophy at camp. They have the ability to do that. So if they want to spend several hours working on something during the day, we would uh, create the time for them to do that. So they have so many different varied ways they can contribute. They get so much better at the activities that they're interested in themselves. They learn new ones during the summer as we work on making sure we have enough people coming back the following year that know things. Uh, We also have a host of philosophies that are instrumental in the experience of camp as a whole, but also in their own personal development, things that for here might be more jargon, but something we call clean communication, which is when your heart and your mind match your words and your deeds, then we consider that a clean communication. Uh, we operate on a flat hierarchy and consensus. Uh, so that gets rid of fear to a large degree or you know, biting your tongue or worried about any kind of consequence. So the only way to quote unquote get fired here would be for the community to come to a consensus that your presence in the community was uh, of not of great value anymore, uh, which has virtually never happened. But uh, with, when you take away fear, as a uh, any kind of motivation or presence in someone's experience here, then that opens up a lot of doors that might be closed for for fear of opening them. Uh, we have nonviolent communication, also called compassionate communication, which is an entire uh, framework that's international that we use. Um, we do something called intentional speech, success counseling, 100% responsibility, a whole host of philosophies that are written. And over 600 pages of various manuals and that we train during those 25 days of training and 100 hours ahead of time. And those things, uh, in addition to everything else I mentioned, are what I think allows the staff to really find themselves at home here and have that autonomy, that mastery and
0: that purpose. Um, I read on your site that you have your counselors write
1: two pages or more to parents about their child. How does Mm -hmm. that work? Yeah, so they're about one to three thousand words, so two to six pages depending. There's time on the schedule; they get three hours and one st- solid block to write them, and then they take a few other hours to write them as well. Uh, usually, figure it takes at least one hour per child per week to have uh, for us to put this process. But that letter is written to the to the family to the parents, and it's like here was my experience with your child over this week. Here's here's some of what we did, but. It's not a journal of this is what happened. Those might be the paints for, you know, the, the color palette that you have, but the painting is what the letter is really focused on, which is now here's the what happened, and here is the picture of what I really appreciated and loved and learned about your uh, child while they were here. How many
0: campers does a counselor have that they would need to write this
1: for? Five campers and one counselor. So they write five letters. It takes them between, uh, roughly, it takes them about an hour per child to write. And then the village leader spends about another uh, half hour, 45 minutes reading over each letter, editing them, maybe adding some things from their experience, uh, and then printing them all out, stuffing them in uh, and mailing them off.
0: Well, that's great. Now, you have multiple sites with tons of resources, and I will link those uh, in the show notes. Are there any special tools or books, I know you mentioned Drive, um, or trainings that you'd recommend to camp professionals?
1: Uh, the one resource of, of my own that I'd recommend is one that's called the Learning Camp. And you might have heard uh, the Learning Organization or Peter Senge. It's, it's something that's popular in business. And so I, I, I crafted a resource that's, I think it's 20-ish pages long. And it includes a self-assessment survey or one that you could give your staff as well that gives you hard data on how how you're doing on all the metrics of what a real learning organization would do. Uh, And this is an adapted survey that's one that's used internationally. And I happen to know the author of the survey, and she allowed me to use it uh, in this context and uh, adapt it. And I would start there because it offers the beginning to really broad orientation to how do I want to look at development as an organization, as a self, and many different domains. And I think that curiosity and that openness and that vision that is built upon through that resource is the beginning.
0: That's great. Thank you so much. Um, I love what you're doing at Augusta and everything that you have done for camping and continue to do for camping industry as a whole. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Absolutely, I'm I'm honored and a pleasure to chat with you, and I look forward to hearing all your other uh, podcasts that you put out there, and for likewise for putting all this information and and getting these uh, resources out to folks. And uh, again, I love your roundtables. I participate, I think, in if not all of them, nearly all of them. So uh, they're uh, they're a lovely resource to paw through and get some ideas and. And we definitely use them at Camp Augusta. So there you go.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Randall Grayson. If you want to learn more about him and his programs, as well as the philosophies he incorporates into his staff training and camp programs, check out the links that I put in the show notes. You can find the show notes at summercamppro.com slash episode four. <sighs> Now it's time for announcements, you whippersnappers. Hey, you kids, get off my lawn. In this episode, Randy talked about the email roundtables that I run. I try to do these monthly. doesn't always happen, but I'm going to try to be more consistent about them. And if you have not heard of the email roundtables, basically it works like this. I send out an email to those who are on my list and in that email I say it's time for another round table and here's the topic and the topic might include staff training or it might include a specific theme like pirates or it could be something a little bit more general like rainy day activities and the subscribers who want to participate will simply email me their ideas on that specific topic. And what I do is I usually get between 100 and 200 people who participate. And I take all their ideas and put it into one Word document or a PDF and send it back out to all those who participated. Now, obviously, those who don't participate but are still on my list will not get that. Um, you have to participate. And you have to get me the submission by the due date. There are a couple of rules, and you can find that um, information on my website. So basically, if you're not on my email list, I suggest you go there, go to summercamppro.com, and on the homepage, just scroll down to about halfway or a little bit more, and you'll see the opt-in form. And there is a link at the footer at the bottom that will say... Uh, email roundtables. Just click on that and it'll give you a lot more information on how that's run. The other thing is I would love to have you subscribe to this podcast. I'm really trying to put my heart and soul into it. And if it's something that you want me to continue, if this is something you enjoy, um, please go to iTunes and subscribe. um, Or if you're using a certain app on your phone, then use that to subscribe and leave a review. Um, that will help others find the podcast as well. And that's all I have for this episode. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.